Let's open our Bibles to the book of Galatians. I've entitled the morning's message, Justified, and let's read through verse 9. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches, plural, of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who calls you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you, who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you that we have preached to you, then let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Um, As we leave um, the book of uh, Corinthians, we're looking at a particular city. As we go into Galatians, I'm going to put uh, on the map Paul's first missionary journey And I want you to look up into the upper right-hand corner, that green area there where it says Galatia. So the first point that I want to point out is that the book of Galatians is not a particular church, but it's a region. If you look at verse 2, it says that the brethren who are with me to the churches, plural, of Galatia. So this is a picture of, we could just leave that up there for a while because I will be referring to it again. Um, And the concern that he had with the Corinthians with, remember a small group of people who did not like the fact that Paul was taking the authority as an apostle. He says, I'm nothing. But God has called me to be an apostle, so you're not really listening to my words, but you're listening to God's words. And he wouldn't back down from this, but neither would they. Most, most of the ch- people in the Corinthian church received Paul the apostle's admonition to remove the sexually immoral person from the fellowship. They did. He repented later, he was welcomed back in, but there was a handful, a minority, that just could not handle the fact that Paul, it was sort of an attitude of, you know, who do you think you are anyway, um, speaking to us this way. This is a different situation. He was dealing with um, um, a small handful of hotheads that just didn't listen to what he had to say. Here, we're going from an attitude to a doctrinal issue. And so as we look at this, I want to make a distinction between what it means to be justified, we call it justification, and that difference between that 
and sanctification. They are two completely different terms. And I want to give you an example and have you turn to the book of Romans chapter 7. And I'll give you an example of what it means to be sanctified. And when I say that, you need to understand that it's an ongoing process when a person is sanctified. And I'm going to use the Apostle Paul as an example. When you are justified, that happened when Jesus said, it is finished. The work is done. And as far as the way he looks at you this morning, we say justified just as though you've never sinned. You need to understand categorically that's how God looks at you this morning. In his eyes, you're a pure virgin. That's the bride of Christ. And he sees no sin in you whatsoever. We call that being justified. Now, the difference between being justified and being sanctified is that we sin every day. (laughs) And we have problems with it. You ever go through a trial for going through a trial? I know I'm not supposed to do that, and I did it anyway. And I should deserve some punishment or something for it. And the Lord says, sorry, there's no condemnation in those that are in me. So the devil's on my back wanting to beat me up, and I'm on my back wanting to beat me up because I know better. So let's use Paul for an example here. Romans 7, he deals with the issue of the continuing work of being sanctified. It means that you grow from milk as a baby Christian. It says, as a newborn babe in Christ, desire the sincere milk of the word. Well, what do you feed a baby? You you feed him milk. Um, I was talking to Lee, and he was up at his cabin. I said, what are you doing? He said, making porterhouse steaks. And I said, why do you have to tell me that for? (laughs) And I asked him this morning how they were, and he got into detail on how how good they tasted. I said, I don't want to hear anymore. But my point is this. He's a grown man. He doesn't drink milk anymore. Oh, maybe he does. But he can also handle a good porterhouse, too. The meat of the word. So there's a distinction and a growth process from being a baby to growing into an adult man. So here's Paul picking it up in verse 14. For he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in my flesh nothing good dwells. You just want to camp on that for a second? If you think there's something good in you? Well, I do good things for people. And... um, and there will be an award day, the judgment seat of Christ, where that, there's a, the other side of the coin, where we'll be rewarded for the things that are done in Jesus' name. But all in all, in our flesh, there's nothing good. Uh, for to will is present with me, I want to, 
but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find that a law, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And then he sort of, I can see Paul throwing his hands up in the air and saying, O wretched man that I am, who will ever deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers his own question. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh the law of sin. This is who I really am, nothing good in me. I'm a wretch and as a result who's going to deliver me from it? Answer, Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. I thank Jesus Christ our Lord for what? Justifying you. That when he paid the price for your sins, it was all your sins, past, present, and future. And that is um, um, the work of um, justification. But what I just read to you is the ongoing process of sanctification. There's things that you did when you were a younger Christian that um, the Lord um, (laughs) got on you long enough and you finally said, I'm sick of this sin and I'm not gonna do it anymore. And you grow up from milk to meat. And it's, and it's it's a growing process. So question one, is everybody with me with the difference between what it means to be justified and going through the sanctification process. They are two different issues. What I want to talk about this morning is the Galatian churches, plural, had gotten away from justification. And that's going to be the issue. This epistle was probably written by Paul, about 57 on his third missionary journey from Ephesus during his two years of residence there. After Paul visited the Galatians, he discovered that the Judaizers had followed him and the churches were listening to them and Paul wrote this letter to counteract their message to state clearly the gospel. The epistle to the Galatians has a particular message for us because it was written to people who were like us in many ways. Some of them had tempers uh, or they could be beset on every hand by cults and isms. There's a lot of isms that we can refer to this morning, uh, which take us likewise from our moorings in the gospel of grace. In a stern, severe, and solemn message Um, in chapters one, especially here, six through nine, it does not correct conduct 
as the Corinthians letter did, but it is corrective. The Galatians believers were in grave peril because the foundation of their faith was being attacked. Everything was threatened. The epistle, therefore, contains no words of commendation, praise, or thanksgiving. There's no request for prayers, and there's no mention of their standing in Christ. Excuse me. No one with him is mentioned by name. If you compare this epistle with the other Pauline epistles, you will see that it is different. Galatians is the strongest declaration and defense of the doctrine, and here it is, justification by faith. In and out of scripture, it is of vital, it is the most vital truth of the Christian faith against any attack. Not only is a sinner saved by grace through faith, plus nothing, but the saved sinner lives by grace. Grace is a way to, to life and a way of life. These two go together, and um, we're talking about our grace that we have, that we received through faith. Just as there were those in the Corinthian church, I've already made mention this, <clears throat> that troubled Paul, now we got this group of Judaizers. And um, Paul has to deal with them. And what was happening is uh, they were following Paul around wherever Paul went. And one through five, we can go back there, we have this beautiful introduction. Um, But I want to point out one thing here, how he opens his epistle in verse three. He says, grace to you and peace. And let me just say this. You'll never know the peace of God until you've experienced the grace of God. It's the only way you'll ever experience what the Bible calls the peace that passes human understanding. He says, my peace I give to you. Can you imagine the Lord being bent out of shape or troubled about anything? No. Um, He did have um, a discussion with uh, his heavenly father in the Garden of Gethsemane, realizing there's no way that we can even begin to comprehend what the Lord was under. Because we're not, I'm just thinking about my sin and all that he is aware of. He knows every single one of them. Multiply that times the 8 billion people in the world today. Multiply that times all the people who ever lived. And that's what was being placed upon him to the point that the father had to separate himself from the son. And he was all too well aware of it to the point where he says, Father, is there another way that that mankind can be redeemed except I drink this cup? Was no other way. He says, but if there is, that's what I'm praying for. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And um, what took place on Calvary's cross was a complete and total work where he said, it is what? It is finished. It's over. 
The work's done. You are now justified from this point on. Those who have received him as their personal Lord and Savior. Now, what was happening in uh, verse uh, six through nine here, he's marveling because they have evidently turned away from um, the simple gospel. And he says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who had called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are, are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Well, who is he talking about? Now, the subject of Paul's letter to the Galatian believers concerns the interpretation of the fact of the gospel. And here they are. The Judaizers had followed Paul into Galatia. They did not challenge the fact of the gospel, especially after 500 people at once saw the Lord Jesus after his resurrection, When you have that many people around as witnesses, you don't go around denying the fact of the gospel. The heresy that they were promoting concerning the interpretation of those facts. They were very sly, very subtle, uh, something like this. Uh, Did Brother Paul come here among you? And the folks said, yes. Uh, He came and he preached the gospel and we accepted it. We're converted. We know Christ as our Savior, and we are in the body of believers. Then the Judaizers would respond, well, that's wonderful. Brother Paul is accurate as far as he goes, but he doesn't go far enough. Did he tell you that you should keep the Mosaic law? Oh, he didn't? Well, he should have told you that. Yes, you are to trust Christ, but you must also follow the Mosaic law or you won't be saved. This is one of the oldest heresies known. It is still with us today. It is adding something to the gospel of grace. It is doing something rather than simply believing something. It is faith plus something rather than faith plus nothing. Every cult, every ism has something for you to do in order to be saved. Do you kind of get a feel of the direction we're going in tonight? It's justified and you can't add anything to it. Yes, you'll be going through a sanctification process, but as far as the gospel is concerned, you are justified. This became the first hotted debate when the church was born. I'm gonna have you go there this morning to the book of Acts chapter 14. Give you a little bit of background here. This would be Paul's first missionary journey. He's in Iconium, and if you look up on the map, um, you'll see Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. All of them will be mentioned in chapters 14 and 15. So we find, uh, this would be Paul's first missionary journey. I'd like to look at chapter 14, verses one through six. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and Greeks, believed 
But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided. Let me just stop and share something here. Remember the day of Pentecost? 3,000 people get saved? There were more than 3,000 people that were there. There was a division. You need to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings division. Good place for an amen. Don't think that I've come to bring peace. I haven't. I've come to bring a sword. That even in your own family, there's going to be those who are going to be for me and those who are going to be against me. And so what happens here? Well, verse four, the multitude of the city was divided. Part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse, and they were gonna stone them. Um, Move down to chapter 15, um, six, no, I wanna read verse six too. And they became aware of it and they fled to, now these are cities that would be in Galatia. Uh, they were, went to Lystra, Derby, uh, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding regions. So they, they got out of Dodge. And um, when we get to, this is uh, them giving a report now, um, and they come back from their first missionary journey at the end of 14, verses 26 to 28. Now in chapter 15, I'm gonna spend a little time on this because this was the first city council, uh, church council meeting, where there was an issue that had to be resolved. And there were two sides of it, which is right, which is wrong. And so we find that um, in verses, well, we're gonna read most of this to, to get the whole feel for it because this is where the faults and adding on to the gospel is first addressed. Verse 1, chapter 15. And certain men came down from Judea, God bless you, and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Well, we just added something to justification, being justified. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, that means they really got into it, and disputed with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go down to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles And they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep 
the law of Moses. So we're talking about Gentiles getting saved and um, some of the Jews that got saved said, yeah, they, they need to um, be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Picking it up in verse six, so the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the hearts, acknowledged them, having given them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved as the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent as they were chewing on Peter's words here. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. It appears that James, this would have been the brother of um, the Lord, um, was... Um, probably the overseer, and I'm sure him being the Lord's brother had something to do with that, but he's the one who gets up and speaks at this point. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared, Peter, how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And I like this because he quotes scripture to back up what he's about to say. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and then it says, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, saying the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity all his works. Therefore, I judge. Interesting. Um, Even though the, the apostles and the elders were there, he uses the term I. And I take that as he has, um, what's the right word? a little more authority than the rest of the the guys that were there. He says, therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to admonish them from polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses had throughout many generations those who preached him every city being read in a synagogue and every Sabbath. All right, when you first got saved, there are certain things that you just didn't do anymore. 
Is everybody with me? For me, it was swearing. And I've shared this before. And I was so used to swearing that I would say, I'd get a J out, but that's all the further it would go. And so, um, vulgarity, that was the thing, that was the number one thing that went. Well, um, the next thing that it talks about here is to keep yourself from sexual immorality. Well, that was a problem in the church in Corinth. And so when a person is born again and you're maybe, what term do you use, living in the fast lanes, uh, product of the 60s and so on and so forth, well, you just don't do those things anymore. Naturally, you don't do those things anymore. That, that's a no-brainer. So what James is pointing out here is there's obvious things that you don't do. Um, you're not going to go home, let's, um, um, let's say you're going to butcher a, a cow. Well, after you butcher the cow, you don't eat the whole cow. What do you do? You drain the blood out. We don't think anything of it. And these were things that um, were part of the law. And so basically he's writing, he says, we're not going to put this burden on you except for common things that you won't do now that you're a born-again Christian. And, and one, of, one of them was sexual immorality, things strangled from blood, uh, and this would have been part of the law. So the letter goes something like this, 22. Then it pleased the apostles. So James uh, uh, was speaking, but what he said made sense, so they're in agreement with it. It pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, the brethren, to the brethren of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, Sicilia, and greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives to the name of the Lord Jesus. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Let me add in a scripture here. Jesus said you'll know the truth. And what will it do? It'll set you free. And what were they trying to do? Lay a burden on him. And um, they're writing this letter back. We never said anything like that. We're not trying to put a burden on you. Um, You've been justified. And you're clean. And your sins will be remembered no more. And it goes on to say that you abstain from things offered to idols. Let me give you an example of what I think is going on here. You invite somebody over for supper and you go down to the local meat market and you go down there and you're having burgers that night 
And what you don't ask the guy who's selling you the meat with your friend that you invited over for supper, hey, was this offered to an idol? (laughs) Because it might, um, remember the sheet that came down when Peter was hungry and everything on that sheet was unclean? And the Lord said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, not so, Lord. How's that for an oxymoron? (laughs) Not so, Lord. And this thing was repeated three times because Peter's got a thick skull. And um, the same idea here. Um, It's a matter of we're not supposed to stumble our brother. Now, you, you might have a liberty to go into a butcher shop and, and say, was that offered to an idol? Yeah, yesterday. Well, it doesn't matter. I can eat it anyway. I'm free from all that. Uh, but maybe another guy who is weaker in faith doesn't have the same liberty that you do. Is, are you still tracking with me on this one? So um, that's why abstain things offered to idols. Because why? It might stumble a weaker brother that you have liberty in, but he does not. Um, and from things strangled, uh, from sexually, from sexual immorality, which is a given. And if you keep yourself from these things, you'll do well. Farewell. Talk to you later. End of discussion. End of issue. And but they had to have this big powwow. And they had to get all the guys to say this is of the Holy Spirit. And we stand in agreement with what Peter has told us, what Barnabas has told us. And um, it's prophesied, he quotes scripture, that the Lord is gonna open the door to the Gentiles by faith alone, without not keeping any of the law. Now I have Jewish friends that still, even though if they're free from it, one of them, I won't embarrass him, but he's a very well-known speaker and a good friend of ours, who still won't eat pork. My father, my father grew up in a house where they did not eat pork. And um, um, how do I say this tactfully? <laughs> pigs today are not like pigs 200 years ago, unless, glory, you live in India. <laughs> because um, the, um, the garbage crew are the pigs. <laughs> a lot of the towns will take their garbage, right, and put it on the end of the, end of the block, maybe not in some of the bigger cities, but here come the pigs, and they're gonna clean up. Well, there's a lot of parasites and bugs and so on and so forth. So that's one of the reasons that that's given. Um, through verse 35, so when they had sent them off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together and delivered the letter, when they have read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Silas, Judas and Silas themselves being prophets, also exhorted the brethren with many words, and they strengthened them. And after they had stayed there for a time, They were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there, and Paul and Barnabas also remained at Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. So here is an example of the Judaizers, uh, and the very first big issue in the church was 
these Pharisees saying, hey, got to keep the law. And basically, this is shutting it down. So as we get into this, um, an example of salvation by faith alone. And they're saying you can't be saved. Well, let me tell you some people who had no works. Let's take the thief on the cross, for instance. Did he have any good works? Nope. Was he ever circumcised? Nope. Did he keep the law? Nope. He was a thief. Where is he today? In heaven. Lord. That's the key word. Lord. Remember me. That was the sinner's prayer. He was never baptized, and I'm going to make a point of that next. He was never baptized. He had no good works going for him. He never said the sinner's prayer. He just said, Lord, would you remember me? And he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, it was three days later when they were in heaven, but that day they went to Abraham's bosom. That's a different study all by itself. How about the Philippian jailer? And um, they thought that uh, uh, Paul had escaped and um, the chains fell off and he could have escaped, but he didn't. And um, the guy was gonna kill himself. He said, stop, don't do it, we're still here. And um, he fell on his face and he said, what must I do to be saved? If your God can knock off chains and open doors that are locked, I wanna know him. And this is what he said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure you go to church every Sunday. Make sure that you don't cheat on your taxes. Make sure, and he didn't go through the list. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your family. And they had a Bible study that night and sure enough, uh, let me clarify something here. Just because mom and dad are saved, that doesn't mean the kids are saved too. But they knew Um, that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ that he would accept the Lord and he would, uh, his family actually did get saved that very night. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm looking at verses uh, 19 through 25 here. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which he created for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, then let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, I have faith underlined, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. In other words, love on on each other. And not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The Bible says in the last days there's going to be a falling away. But he says don't let it happen to you. As you see the day approaching. Question, do you see the day approaching? I sure see the day approaching. 
as the manner of some is. But exhort one another. What is Paul doing to the churches in Galatia? He's exhorting them. Don't add to and don't let anybody talk you into adding anything to the finished work, the one-time offering of Jesus Christ. And exhort one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Um, I want to go to, I want to wrap up, um, let's see if I have it uh, down here. Um, Let's go back to Galatians because we made it through verse (laughs) 2. Let's go down to verse, um, um, no, we made it through verse 7. And he says, but even in verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven preaches another gospel, have there been angels that have preached other gospels? Yeah, Joseph Smith, except it wasn't an angel, or Anna, or whatever his name is. They have their own Bible. And it was, it was given to them by a revelation from supposedly an angel, upstate New York somewhere. That's an ism, Mormonism, Roman Catholicism, Lutheranism, and I'll get into the isms. But we, if any angel from heaven preach another gospel to you that we have uh, preached to you, let him be accursed. The word there is anathema. It means eternally damned. Why? Because it's another gospel. Some people don't take that seriously. Um, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you other than what you've received, let him be, let him be accursed. Well, anathema is a pretty serious term. And now um, I'm going to mention some names that um, I'll start off with. Well, I'll just tell it like it is, but before I say it, I want to say that I, I personally know Roman Catholics that know Jesus and are born again. Having said that, we need to put it in the context of what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter one. They're adding two. And so on one level they can be saved, but the, we have to expose, if that's a good word, the false teaching that could bring a person, if they're trusting in that and adding to the finished work of the cross, then it has to be corrected. Can I get an amen from that? All right, so here in Roman Catholicism, according to the Roman Catholic Church, baptism is necessary for salvation. I'm taking it from the Catholic Catechism. Uh, I'm not just picking on the Catholics here. It was true in the Protestant denomination that I grew up in, which happened to be Lutheran. And um, Martin Luther did not take it far enough during the Reformation because um, salvation is part of the equation in your salvation. To this day, I remember at my aunt's funeral, um, she was going to a Lutheran church and the pastor was up there saying, we know that Sue's in heaven because she was baptized. And um, I I had my hands here and I was ready to stand up. (laughs) 
because they're, they're talking to my family. And um, what I wanted to say, I didn't say. I wanted to say it. <laughs> Baptism is not necessary for salvation. Again, the thief on the cross. Okay. Um, the Eucharist or transubstantiation that only a priest can perform. Um, the priest have to be celibate in order to be a priest, okay? Nuns need to be celibate in order to be a nun. Do you know how much trouble that's got the Roman Catholic Church into with billions and billions and billions of lawsuits over the years? Why? First uh, Corinthians 7 says uh, not to restrain yourself except for, and it's talking about sexual relations. Don't restrain yourself from one another. Unless you do it in agreement, lest Satan would tempt you. Um, there are exceptions. You've got a big decision to make. Um, one of the guys at men's prayer saying, I've got this big decision to make about moving and selling my house and all this kind of stuff. Well, Paul says this is a good time to take a couple weeks off. A couple weeks, not a couple years, not a couple months. A couple weeks off and fast and pray. Deny the flesh and feed the spirit so that you can get a clear answer from the Lord. I'm going to close this morning with reading what I just said because that's exactly what Chuck was talking about this morning. And uh, I'm always amazed because so many times what I read on a Sunday morning lines up with what we're going through in the Bible study. So the Eucharist can only be performed by a priest, okay? What is it? It's a sacrifice. What they have up there is called an altar. And when he does this, what is an ordinary wafer is transubstantiated into the literal body of Christ. Then he takes a cup and he turns it into the literal blood of Christ. And you got to be careful about dropping Jesus on the floor so they got this little tray that they stick underneath here to catch it in case it it falls. Well, um, that is adding Jesus, um, this would be a good time now, this would be a good time to go to Hebrews chapter 10, and I want to read something to you. In light of, of um, transubstantiation, actually it's chapter 9, and I'm looking at verses 12. This is talking about the covenant, and in verse 12 it says, the new covenant not with the blood of goats and, and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, how many times? Once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Look at verse 25. Not that he should offer himself often, that's what happens in the Roman Catholic Church every Sunday. Why? Because you sinned from the the Sunday before, and you need to have your sins sacrificed again. Not that he should offer himself often 
as a high priest entered the holy place every year with the blood to another. Now verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for his, her, him. He will appear a second time apart from salvation. Now the same with baptism. But again, let's not just talk about um, Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons or any of the isms. The two main ones in America are Protestants and, and the Catholics. Both of them require infant baptism for salvation. And um, they can, don't get me wrong, I know and you know, people that are Roman Catholics that are saved and I believe are going to heaven. Same with Lutherans. Having said that, the distinction that we need to make this morning is we cannot back down um, on this. Because why? It's another gospel. And there are those in Roman Catholicism and Lutheran churches, most of the people in the Lutheran church that I went to, um, weren't born again. They didn't know the Lord. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. I remember one time after I was saved, this is only for old people right now. (laughs) Um, The Jesus people... Uh, started in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This would have been the early 70s. And we used to drive down there. Um, One of the elders' name was Glenn Kaiser. He was the founder of what's called the Res Band or the Resurrection Band. How many people are old enough to remember them? (laughs) There's some, okay. Well, Glenn Glenn Kaiser, uh, the band wasn't even formed yet, but I was saved and I wanted to get my kind of music out to the people that would be interested. And so before they ever formed a group called the Resurrection Band or shortened it for Res Band, I asked them to come up to Oshkosh and put a concert on in Menominee Park. And they said, great, we'll do it. And so I thought, where am I gonna put all these guys? I got a team of 12 coming up um, with equipment and everything. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll go talk to my Lutheran pastor and um, see if they can crash in the basement and sleep down there. Because uh, I was living in this attic at the time. I had it fixed up pretty cool, by the way. So don't think junky attic, think cool attic. And so I went and talked to um, my Lutheran pastor. And I said, we're going to have a Christian concert at Menominee Park. My problem is I don't have enough um, space um, for him. Can he help me out? He asked me one question. Do they believe in the rapture? That was the question. And I says, yeah, they do. He said, no. <laughs> well, if you're Lutheran, let me give you a little history here about something we talked about in men's prayer yesterday. And that's why the book of Revelation is not taught literally either in Roman Catholicism or in Protestantism. It's allegorized and it's spiritualized. And the question is, why would they allegorize it and why would they spiritualize it? Okay, what what would you do if you're teaching through the Bible in 1200 AD, okay? 
And you get to the book of Revelation and you find out seven-eighths of it is all about Jews. There are no Jews. This is where Reformed theology comes in. They rejected the Messiah, so God rejected them. We inherited their promises. So there was always a small hand group of people that were insistent that said, if it says Jews, then it means Jews. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, not the church's trouble. And so after not having Jews, they called them the wandering Jews for a reason, not back in the homeland, how can you teach through the book of Revelation? You have to allegorize it. You have to spiritualize it, except for this small handful of people who said, we don't know how, but God is somehow going to bring Israel back again. Can a nation be born in one day? A nation was born in one day. That's a Bible prophecy. March 14th. 1948, 74, May, what did I say? That's my birthdays in March. I just want, just want to keep that in front of you all the time. My birth, birthdays in March. So that was 74 years ago. So now, the things that are, boy, can I get sidetracked here? I promise I won't. But keep your eyes on what's going on with Turkey, Iran, Israel, and Russia. Because Ezekiel 38 is knocking at the door, my friends. And it is probably a whole lot later than any of us could even imagine. And what are we supposed to do as we see the day approaching? Look up and what else? Not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. One of the guys was very honest, and I'm not going to mention his name. And he says, you know, if it wasn't for men's prayer, this is all I have. I have nothing else. I said, let me encourage you. I want you to know you're not the only one. There's a lot of people that are the only one in the family that's saved. And this is their family. This is their home. And I wanted to encourage the brother because this was all he had. He says, this is all I have. Are you guys? And I said, you're not alone. And the the numbers are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, for people who are like-minded, who understand Bible prophecy, who take the book of Revelation literally. What's the last thing the book of Revelation said? Don't add to, don't take away from any of the words written in this book. That's how the book of Revelation ends. Oh, bet, better yet. It says, even so come Lord Jesus, amen. <laughs> All right, let's see if we can wind this thing up here. Um, so I need to have you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and talking about justification. Chapter 5, verse... This is justification, a definition of it. Oh, this is also good. I want to read more. <laughs> Uh, Let's pick it up in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As through God, we're pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you're not right with the Lord this morning, please get right. It's late. You have the Roman Roman road uh, track in your bulletin. 
give it to somebody this week. Verse 21, definition of being justified. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We got Bruce Carroll coming. Bruce has a, a song from Makes Us Stake and Study. It's called The Great Exchange. And that's what he's referring to this verse here. The Great Exchange. He took my sin, but then he gave me his righteousness. And I'm been justified. And I'm white as snow, and you're as pure as snow because of this verse right here and when it's done. Why is Paul being so stern? Because people wanted to add something else to it. And he says, no go. Let them be anathema if they do that. Anathema, eternally damned? Yeah, because you might be trusting in that instead of the finished work of Christ, adding something to it. I'll repeat this one final time. Um, I'm not, I'm aware of many believers that um, hold to infant baptism that are saved. And I give their brothers in Christ and I should treat them as such. But I'm not going to be afraid to tell them, I hope you're not trusting in your baptism as your salvation because according to Paul's writing in Galatians chapter one, he says it's anathema. And I would take that seriously, friend, and let the word of God speak for itself and um, don't, it won't return void. You'll have to go home and think about it. So with that being said, um, two more scriptures, Romans chapter four. I'm doing good. I'm talking about time-wise, so. I just said I wasn't good earlier, so you know I couldn't be referring to that. So Romans 4, verse 15, tells us, 1 through 5, I'm sorry. Romans 4, what shall we, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to, to the flesh? Question. For if Abraham was justified by works, this is another sacrament that's required in Roman Catholicism. You must have good works. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now, um, Romans 11, one verse. Romans 11, verse six. Basically, it's saying you can't have it both ways. I'll pick it up in verse five. Let's just read verse six. And if, we're talking about salvation, and if by grace then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, it's works is no longer works. In other words, you can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. You're gonna be saved by being a good person, which the majority of people in our country, if you ask them if they're going to heaven, 
they'll say, yeah, why? Well, how about that bad? <laughs> um, they think God judges on a curve, you know. He does not. Uh, there's nothing good in you and apart by being justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that's the only way you can be saved. And you cannot add anything to that. The Judaizers did not deny the fact of the gospel that Jesus died and rose again. What they denied was, was, was it adequate? They insisted that you who have to keep the law plus trusting Christ. Paul is saying that whoever tries to mingle law and grace, let him be damned. Why? Because they pervert the gospel. They do not deny the fact of the gospel, but they misinterpret those facts. They pervert the gospel. And with that, this is wisdom from the day, June 26th, when God is silent, Habakkuk chapter one. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Kind of sounds like the psalm we read. Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. It's difficult to endure the silence of God. Those times when we pray, but seems he doesn't hear because nothing changes. That was Habakkuk's frustration. Israel had turned its back on God. The nation was in moral chaos. I guess we can identify with that. Alarmed, Habakkuk cried out, God, you're doing nothing. The Lord answered, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astonished. For I will work a work in your days in which you will not believe, though it were told you. Sometimes we misinterpret God's silence for indifference, but the truth is God is always at work. God then gave Habakkuk a prophecy concerning the perilous days ahead. He described the judgment that would come through the hand of the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, whom he was raising up for that purpose. And then urging Habakkuk to hold on, keep trusting in him, good encourage, encourage the prophets with words that have continued to encourage believers throughout the centuries. And that is this, the just shall live by faith. That's where it comes from. You may be feeling today that God doesn't hear you, or worse, that he doesn't care. But I can assure you, from the word of God that he does hear, he does care, and he's at work on your behalf. Even when he seems silent, look away from your problems. Ignore the circumstances. Instead, cast your cares on the one who loves you and who has promised to meet all your needs. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we begin the book of Galatians, we're grateful that you're black and white when it comes to um, sound doctrine and what being justified is really all about. Thank you that you've, your word explains the difference between being justified and going through the process of sanctification. So Lord, we're just thankful this morning that we can cast all our cares upon you that we may not understand it, but you're working things for our good. 
And as we see our own nation in very perilous times like Habakkuk, um, we cry out, why aren't you doing anything? Lord, we thank you for your word because Habakkuk didn't have the revelation of Bible prophecy and what we see unfolding right before our eyes. So, Lord, when it does look dark, remember and remind us that you're always with us, that you promise us a blessed hope of the rapture, and that um, we are not going to be a part of this terrible seven-year period of time that we see on the horizon. So for this we give thanks. We give you the rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen.